Okay, if you would, please turn to the book of Ephesians. We'll be dealing with Ephesians 4, 12-13. I'm going to begin reading at verse 11. And Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, inerrant, infallible Word. Father, help me this morning be faithful to the beauty and the necessity of this passage. Help me unfold what You have given to us, the church, through the Apostle Paul. So that every one of us who have fled for eternal refuge in Your Son Jesus would appreciate what He died for all the more the church, His bride, to the glory of Your holiness forever. Amen. Amen. Okay. I wonder if any of you Christians are like me, you ever come to a crisis in your Christian walk like I did a few years in to my walk with Jesus where I began questioning everything. And most particularly, this question. What is the church? I mean, yes, Jesus totally just changed my life through the message of His life, death, and resurrection. He, he changed me on the inside, working out. I have great confidence. I'm a believer. I'm saved. But what is this thing called the church? Why do we do what we do? Why should I go to church or be a member? of a church. What is, in the New Testament, as Paul's writing, what, what is the vision that the apostles are given by Christ about, don't think building here, don't think organization, but church life. You see, if like many evangelical Christians good number of them 
go to church. Every Sunday, they go into a building, they hear a lecture, a sermon, a teaching, and they rush out and into the car and they go home to repeat it again the next Sunday. Week after week, month after month, year after year. Now just, just follow me, right? Just picture that. If, if, if Picture a person like that. Ask the question, what do they do with so much of the New Testament when they read it, if they ever read it? Well, what do they do if they come across Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 13? Take care, brothers, lest there be in any one of you... So you get this plural thing going on, and then I'm one of the plural. Any one of you an unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Okay, that sounds pretty serious. And then he says, but what do we do? You do this. You exhort one another every day. Well, how do you do that? When you don't know others. And they don't know you. Because you attend church services. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Why? So that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Or how do they deal with a passage like Galatians 6.1 when Paul says, Brothers, if anyone... He's not talking about the guy with the collar on. He's not talking about the pastors. He's talking about any of you, if you're caught in any transgression, you of the body who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. How would that work if we attend seats or you look up front here like me and that's your church? Or what Paul will say later in Ephesians 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I just get to think, oh, yeah, I, I believe that. I have no problem. I've never had a struggle forgiving anybody. Well, neither have I when I go to the movies. It's really easy. I'm very tender and kind. Sure, get through. Uh huh. I don't know. We're all looking up at the screen. We're audience. And that's it. I don't have any conflict. Every time I go, no problem. Or in Colossians 3, 12-13, Put on then compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, because we all stink morally in our actions at times. Forgiving each other. And so, if like many persons, churches, I go to services, and then, whew, how do they deal with passages like that? And most particularly for us, our passage now in Ephesians, starting with verse 12, chapter 4. To equip the saints 
for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ Jesus Himself. How? By speaking the truth to one another in love. That's how we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head. That is, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so, like years ago, questioning everything in the church. Let me just say something about questioning for a moment. Questioning stuff. Teenagers. I'm a parent of six. When my children in the teenage years and young adulthood start to question everything, it's glorious. As long as they end up agreeing with me in the end. No, no, that's not true. Not in everything. So, in the same thing for Christians. To question tradition is good if you are looking for answers. Because there's a philosophy of questioning in our days. Questioning! That's the goal! Just to question! It's the journey! No. Questioning is good when you understand it's not about the journey with never arriving. Questioning is about arriving at a destination of truth, of answers. And a really big help to answering the question this morning of what is the church? What, what does it mean to be the church, to do church, to be a member at the church of Corinth or in Ephesus or at Sovereign Grace Fellowship? A real big help is our passage. Paul paints a picture. And at the core, Paul is saying, every single member of Christ's church is to be a minister. A servant to the whole church. To the body. So, I hope you're there in Ephesians 4. Two weeks ago, we really began this passage, looking at verses 11 and 12. And what we saw a couple weeks ago is that Jesus, having bodily resurrected from the dead and talked, taught his apostles and many others over a period of 40 days, then he ascended on high. And in His ascension as the man who is eternal but became human, He gave gifts to His bride, the church. Verse 11. And He did it in order that people, 
His people would be equipped to do the ministry. Let's read it. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers in order to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. Now just briefly, this is where it's really good to have a, an old-fashioned paper Bible so you can see the whole. The structure is simple. Jesus acts in verse 11 by giving the gifts. And then, verse 12 all the way down to verse 16 is the purpose for the gifts. That's it. But, this morning, let's break it down into its smaller chunks. In verse 11, Jesus gives the five-fold word, preaching, teaching, ministry gifts to the church. Why? The answer is, in order that the saints would be equipped. Now, the word equip refers to making someone adequate or prepared or sufficient for a particular task. This same word is used when James and John, those brothers or fishermen, they're right there by the Sea of Galilee and they are mending their nets. Same word. They're equipping their nets. Their nets are broken. They're fixing them. They're repairing the nets. Paul's point is that even though everyone who has come to true saving faith has been born again, they're, they're spiritually alive to God through Jesus. And we saw back in verse 7, each and every one of them is given a gift by Jesus to be used in the body of Christ. Nevertheless, we are not in a condition, okay, I'm born again, you gave me a gift, let me go, minister and serve. Not according to this passage. Because we're messed up. We are torn fishing nets. We have a sin nature. We have all kinds of wrong-headed philosophies of life of theologies, of ethics, of understanding what the church is. And so, we are in need of repairing, equipping. And Paul tells us, that's why Jesus gives the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Their job is to be repairing the nets. Their job is to repair what is broken and to do the constant maintenance on believers. The church in the first century and in the third century and in the 1100s and in the 1600s and in the 21st century, the church of Jesus Christ is in constant need of the apostolic authority that the apostles left behind. We call it the New Testament. 
along with the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. We are in constant need of that authority over our lives. And we are in constant need of evangelistic ministries spreading that Gospel in the 21st century where it has not yet been heard so that those future saints can come into the body of the church. And we are in need of the regular, faithful, clear, ongoing teaching of the apostolic Word through the shepherds and the teachers. And each and every member, each and every believer in Jesus is really needed by the church. And each and every believer really needs the church. And this comes out clearly in what Paul now will go on to say. Verse 12, why are they given? To equip the saints, to men, to do the repairing work. Why? They're repaired. They're equipped. Each and every believer for the work of ministry. So the flow is simple. We're being prepared. We're being fixed. We're being equipped by the preaching and teaching of the Bible for the work of service. That's what ministry means. That's the purpose of being equipped. To follow His flow. Why the fivefold ministry? To equip you. Why equip you? For the purpose of service. See, Paul has a vision here that leaders and teachers are to never be satisfied just because they have taught doctrine and application. Because that's not the goal. That's a means to an end. The work of preaching and teaching and leading and fixing and repairing the Christians for what we're all meant to do is the work of the ministry. See, Paul's flow in the text so far is that we were sinners We're doomed. We're darkened. And by God's mercy, we hear in a different way, a saving way, the truth and the message of Jesus Christ. Happened to me in 1981. You can tell me when it happened to you. And we come alive to Him. We're saved by Christ. And then in verse 7, Paul says, but grace was given to each one. Each one of us. Grace was given according to the measure of the gift that Christ gives. And we get this gift. And then, these people who come to faith in Christ, they come together in Christ's community. And there are are elders, shepherds, teachers, pastors who do the ongoing work of the equipping for the ministry. That's the flow. Now, for ministry to whom? 
The answer is right there. It's to each other in Christ's church. That's the third thing he says in verse 12. To equip, that's the first, the saints, for what? For the work, that's the second thing, the work of ministry. What is that work of ministry? It is for, the third thing, the building up of the body of Christ. So not only are each and every one of us as believers commissioned by Jesus to encourage and to serve and to build up other believers in our churches, but we are also in great need of others to build us up in the body of Christ. If all a professing believer has in putting into their lives is only this, right now, pulpit ministry, or or add to that a Christian professor, or your favorite radio or internet teacher, and that's what you have, that's the essence of your Christian life inputting into you, that's like constantly filling up with gasoline your cans and bringing them home, but you have no car. The whole process is aborted. The word ministry gives that Jesus gives are for the constant repair of us as believers in the body to continually straighten out our crooked thinking and our self-deluding ideas about life, about God, about Christianity, about ethics, etc. Why? So that we will be prepared to minister to each other in the body of Christ. What he means when he says, for the building up of the body of Christ. And that is impossible if we're not around or in the lives of other believers in the local church. Christ did not die for an organization. He died for a family. The church here, down the street, and 10,000 times over in local expressions, is the family of Christ who do life together in this world. We are to serve others and to be served by others with their gifts. And so as, as we read what Paul says here, each and every one of us here is meant to ponder the question, What are we supposed to be doing at Sovereign Grace Fellowship? What does it mean to be the church? To do church? Verse 12 sums it up. They're given in order to equip the saints. And then the next one is, this is what they're equipped for. They're equipped for the work of ministry, serving. What is that ministry or serving they're doing? That's the third thing. The building up of the body of Christ. 
the body. It's his imagery. I got a head here, and there's a body. This is what Paul's thinking. So, are you a finger? Are you a toe? Are you an arm? Are you a ligament inside the left knee? Are you a kidney? A leg? Each and every part of the body is not only about its own individual growth. But each part is about the growth of the one spiritual body. That's the text. And as we interact as believers in Jesus' church, we are therefore to be concerned about the spiritual edification of individuals. Absolutely. And it's utterly biblical. I mean, Paul says it this way in Romans 15.2. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Yes. But, the thrust of this particular passage in Ephesians 4 is not each of you individuals go off and find other individuals to build up. That's not what he's saying. That is assumed in the larger thing that he's saying. But that's not what he's saying. In this passage, the point is for every one of us to be concerned about building up, not just the toe over there or a finger over there, but of building up the whole one body of Christ, the local church. So, let's read it again carefully and try not to allow our American individualism cause us to not see what Paul actually says. To equip the saints, plural, for each one of their work of ministry, which is for the building up of the one, the body of Christ. The goal of each and every one of your ministries in this church with your differing giftings is to build up the body spiritually as a whole. Now, what does that mean? The next verse tells us what that means. So let's read... Verses 12 and 13 then, again together and feel the flow. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
So, you see the word? Until it points to the purpose of the building up. We're building up. What's the goal of the building up? Until, here it is, we, we plural, we all, there it is, the whole church. The whole church at Corinth, at Ephesus, at First Baptist, at Sovereign Grace. The building up is not here in Paul's mind of each individual. It is the individuals in their community are building up the one whole. And so he says, until we all attain together. Arrive at something. Arrive at what? Answer, we arrive at the unity of the faith. In other words, biblical. Clear gospel doctrine. And we arrive at the unity of the knowledge of who Jesus really is. Not just in our heads, but with our hearts. You can't be clearer. The unity of many unity around something. Around what? Around the faith. Around what the apostles have given us about what is Christianity. Who is Christ? How is a person saved? How shall you therefore walk and live the unity of the faith? Therefore, he means one, but all of us together are one body around the unity of biblical, non distorted doctrine. Now, over the last mm, 50 years or so in the American evangelical church, there has been a major push to try to redefine the church. There has been a concerted effort in churches, and thus you can, if you want, do a study of how many seminary curricula had changed. I saw it in my own experience. It is this huge change and this concerted effort to push doctrine, push truth, push biblical depth to the periphery because we need to grow the organization of the church in numbers, which always thus means in money. And from that philosophy of ministry, the types of people needed to lead churches in quote-unquote pastoral ministry has changed also from what it used to be. Truth brokers who are expositors of the apostolic Word. And it's changed from that into no, no, no. We need type A, go-getter, entrepreneurial 
CEO, managers, and entertainers. You see, if you're trying to grow your startup business of serving food on Main Street, or selling millions of cell phones, or Coca-Cola, or you're trying to sell Jesus, then you need to be open to listen to what the people out there want and change what you offer, at least in your advertisement. And say, we have what you want. And it works great for selling cell phones and Coke. But it does not work at all for the true, organic, spiritual church of Jesus Christ. Because of our text, any effort to gather people and to create a unity that minimizes the unity around doctrine, the truth of biblical Christianity, that unity will not edify. It will not cause the growth that he's talking about. It will not build up the body of Christ. It will create a unity around something other than, and I quote Paul, the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. If you remember back in chapter 4, verse 3, Jesus, He is the one who has purchased and He has created a unity between all born-again persons. But now, here in this passage, Paul is saying there is a unity of faith that must be ongoingly, consciously pursued because it's not necessarily in full existence experientially in local churches. Yet. And it will never reach perfection until Jesus comes back. So he says, Now, this unity around the truth is the goal that is to be attained. Paul is referring to the faith. He doesn't mean our subjective here believing that, like he would use faith. Here he means the body of doctrine, the gospel, the accurate understanding of salvation and sanctification and church life and morality and ethics. He's referring to doctrinal unity that comes through verse 11, the word, teaching, gifts Jesus gives to the church and it filters in through the body and how we interact with one another. And just think about it. Many of you know this experience. The more a believer understands the glories that are unfolded here in Scripture, the, the more they understand it with their minds and 
with their hearts, the closer they will experience unity with other believers who also understand the glories of Christ in their minds and in their hearts. And at the core of this unity, it is the shared knowledge of Jesus our Savior. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. That's the blood flow of real relationships in the body of Jesus. That's the unity. See, around that, we exhort one another Around that we forgive. Jesus forgave me. So you come to me and say, Joe, your heart seems to be getting hard. I see all kinds of signs. And so you lovingly speak truth of the doctrine of Christ to me concerning how I'm living. This is church life. And that only happens by making yourself available. It only happens by begging Jesus to cause me to care about others that you are saving in my local church. It happens by seeking to know other real human beings who have been plucked out of darkness and are on a battle path like you. And it happens only as you are also allowing yourself to be known by others. Now notice the second half of verse 13 now. I'll start the beginning again. Get the flow. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, here he goes, to mature manhood, to the measure, you ever have a measurement in your garage where the children are growing, yeah? To the measure of the stature of whom? Of the fullness of Christ. So here now, he says, work of ministry, build each other up. The goal is the unity around the faith. And so the goal of the unity around Christian biblical truth for how we believe is what? It is to maturity or mature manhood. Now, literally, unto a mature man. That's the goal of each of our ministries in building up the body, Christ the head of Christ, so that it become physically mature. That's the picture pointing to spiritually mature. 
Yes, each and every believer, you get this all over the Bible too, absolutely we must personally be pursuing our own maturity, a mature understanding of what the Bible teaches, doctrine, and a maturity in our intimate relationship of knowing Jesus Christ. Yes. But notice here in this text, the maturity is referring to Christ. To Christ as a mature man. To, let me read it literally, a mature man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So Paul's painting this metaphor, this picture of Christ as a mature man, full grown. And his metaphor throughout Ephesians has been Jesus is the head. We, the church, are the body connected by the neck. And so he almost, Paul would say, Paul, you mean you could see the church at particular places and times and the church over there is like a man's head and like a nine-year-old's body? I think he would say, yeah, you're getting my metaphor. Grow up into the head so that you match the head. And you say, how do we know we're growing? Well, it's really clear. Because Paul says, the opposite of the body growing into the full stature of Christ, the head, the opposite is verse 14. So that we may no longer be children, like a child's body. Oh, then he explains what he means by immature or child's body. We may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human, that comes into the church world, human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. He says, don't remain immature children in doctrine. But what? Grow up to the maturity of manhood so that the body matches the head. Now, who in this text is to grow up? The answer here is not one individual at a time. The answer here is the whole church. Grow up. The body. In other words, since we hear it Sovereign Grace Fellowship are the body of Christ in local expression here. We are to develop as one healthy, growing body into a mature man. 
matching Christ, the head of the body, unto mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And in verse 15, Paul again repeats how we go about building each other up to reach that maturity. How? By speaking the truth. We're going to get here. In this context, he doesn't mean, just be honest with your feelings all the time. That's just not the main thing here. He means doctrine. He means be clear on the Gospel with one another. Speaking the truth in, meaning with a disposition, a heart of love. And that's the way, he says, watch, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head. That is, into Christ. So, we're going to come back to consider this passage and its dynamics more practically and help me work itself out in what Paul is telling us next week and maybe another, I don't know. But for this morning, the take home, I hope, is really clear. Each and every one of us who has come to saving faith in Christ, and if you have not, come. Drink freely of the offer of Jesus, the eternal Creator who became a human being in order to suffer God's wrath against sinners. And He confirmed it by raising Him from the dead to new, not mortal, immortal, glorified human life. And He will come back and raise from the dead all those who belong to Him. The only way to have that is to just receive it. Hear it. See it. Love it. Embrace it. It's yours. And so, that you, each of us now as believers, are to be absolutely convinced, first of all, that Jesus has gifted me Gifted you. He's given gifts to each and every one of us to be utilized in His body. And we are to realize Jesus has made each and every one of us not the body of Christ. I am not the body of Jesus Christ. And you are not the body of Jesus Christ. You and I are only a part of the body of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we are obligated to the other parts to build them up to maturity. And 
to be open to receive their ministries to us so that the whole body will become more healthy and grow appropriately. God has given, made every single one of you unique. With particular personalities, particular abilities and strengths and weaknesses and inefficiencies. I want you to hear that. He has purposed the inefficiencies so that you will be needy for the Spirit of God through the church of Christ and fellow members to help build you up. And that with your strengths, you will build others up. And all of this demands real relationships. Real church life with the truth of Christ at the center. Speaking the truth in love. Let's pray. Father, I know that many of us as we even hear this, we rejoice. We've seen the dynamics of this passage work in our experience in the Church of Christ here or other places before we're here. We, we know what it is to, to sense and to know unity around the glorious truths of Christ. And I just pray, Father, as Paul would pray, that our love our ministries of building up one another would grow even more. That You would strengthen the, the hands that have fallen limp and discouragement overcome with worldliness. That You would ignite the fire of Your Holy Spirit within us as individuals and within us as one body here is sovereign grace. Oh, Father, we're desperate. Oh, do it to our great joy and thus to the glory of Your Son, Jesus Christ, the head of the church.